This is Learning with Leslie. Welcome to another episode of Learning with Leslie, the podcast where you learn, I learn, we all learn about how to build an online business with a blog. No, I'm not talking about one of those blogs that will fall by the wayside when Google has a mood swing. I'm talking about one that will thrive no matter what gets thrown at it. I'm your host, Leslie Sama from becomeablogger.com, where we're changing the world one blog at a time. And as usual, I have another exciting interview for you today. In today's interview, in episode number 284, I'm on the line with none other than Lisa Irby from tocreateawebsite.com, a DIY guide to creating a website. She's an online entrepreneur who helps bloggers and website owners create, monetize, and market their websites and has been doing this online marketing stuff since 1998. She's had a lot of success building her online business and has seen the Bloggers Fair undergo a number of changes. I brought her on here to talk about how blogging has evolved over the years. We're going to be answering the question, is blogging dead? And we'll be talking about what it takes to build a successful blog in 2016 and beyond. She has a lot of experience in the industry, and I'm excited to have her on here to tackle this topic of the state of the blogosphere. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Lisa, how are you doing? Glad to have you on here. Hey, Leslie, what's going on? It's such a pleasure to be here. I love your energy, by the way. Just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I am glad to hear that. And I'm glad to have you on. So, Thanks. you know, I, 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 I said this 1998 thing. And when, even when I said it, even though I knew it, it sounded like, man, has, has the Internet been around that long? <laughs> <laughs> so you got, you, you got into online marketing in 1998. How did you kind of get into it? Well, just like a lot of people, even today, I was just hunting and pecking around the web and looking for a way to make money online. And I stumbled upon some spammy kind of MLM thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I ended up joining this program. And basically, it was just about affiliate marketing. It It was more affiliate marketing and MLM combined. And I joined the program, I paid my little $19 or whatever, and I ended up figuring out how to rank my website on the first page of whatever engine was popular at that time. Because, you know, this was before Google was like the number one engine. If, yeah. if we remember back that far, uh-huh. I think it was like InfoSeek or Lycos or something like that. So I ended up making a ton of money with this program very quickly, and I was hooked from the start. So I began making what we used to call doorway pages to rank in the engines and I was selling all these random products. And then this was probably late 90s, early 2000s when Google started to come into their own and they started saying, okay, wait a minute, we're gonna start wiping out all these low quality pages. And so my income went from like thousands of dollars a year to like a very low amount, right? And I'm like, gee, thanks God, thank goodness <laughs> I still have a full-time job because this isn't gonna work. <laughs> So I decided, you know what, I'm going to create an authority site, although I didn't know I was creating an authority site because we didn't call it those back then. So that's when I launched to create a website in 2002. And I started helping people build their own websites. And then when I started making money online, I sort of evolved into that space. And that's where I am today. Okay, so you, you, you decided to create to create a website. Why specifically that? Because I mean, if you're if you're dabbling in affiliate marketing and all these 
types of things, you're probably exposed to a number of different topics. What made you decide to go and teach people how to create websites? Was that something you were doing before? Yes. See, so you have to remember in 1998, 1999, the only people that were building their own websites or, or, or the people that had websites, they were either hiring developers, which back then would probably cost you ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. I mean, it was such a different time. Yep. Or you learned yourself. And I had taught myself how to use, ready for this, Microsoft front page. Ooh, <laughs> <Okay>. fancy. <laughs> yeah, so we're going way back. And then I learned Dreamweaver. And now, mind you, WordPress, I believe, launched in 2002. So that was the same year I launched to create a website. And WordPress was not what it is today. And most people didn't know about that. Mm. So I continued teaching people HTML, CSS. It was a very technical site. And I was like, wait a minute, why are people paying these designers $5,000, $10,000 when they can do it themselves? Mm. So my site originally was just helping people learn the basics of CSS and HTML and learning how to set up their sites themselves. The other motivation, I'm just going to be brutally honest, was affiliate programs. I knew the hosting affiliate programs were very lucrative. So I thought I can teach people how to build their site and I can refer them to a hosting platform and start making money that way. And that was pretty much how the site ran for a very long time. I was just focusing on promoting hosting affiliate programs. Okay, so I, I wanna rewind just a little bit because um, all of a sudden now I'm curious about the, the first types of affiliate programs uh, that you were promoting before the to create a website, um, before you started that site, what kinds of things were you promoting back then? I don't even know what was around back then. So fill me in. Oh my gosh, Leslie, I honestly don't even remember. It was just so many different things like Amazon products, books, because you have to understand, I had one page websites on random things mm. that were ranking on google.com. So I had, I, I honestly don't remember. There was, I had literally like 50 different sites. Oh, wow. So these were one page websites and I was selling books from amazon.com. I was selling software programs. Um, there was one, I, one I do remember it was like a software program to help people find information and phone numbers on the web or something like that. And they would pay you like $75 for the commission. So whatever program I could find that had great commissions, I would just promote it and, and make a landing page for it. So it was a ton of different things. All right. So you, you're, you're, you're promoting all these different sites and uh, making money with that. All of a sudden, Google does uh, Google does their thing. <laughs> and and all of a sudden, these sites are not doing as well. You decided to create this authority site. How, how, that decision-making process, even back then, how did that happen? Because it's easy to say that now. I decided to create an authority site because we hear all the time, create authority sites. What made you decide that, hey, this is the direction that I want to go? Because I started to notice, and again, going back to SEO, because that's the mindset that you know we're in at that time, just learn how to rank in the engines, right? I noticed that the sites that were ranking and staying in the rankings were the larger built-out sites. Mm. And so I said, I got to build a larger site on something that I'm interested in enough to keep updating and, you know, day after day after day, month after month after month. And since I was learning so much about building and creating websites at that time, that just seemed like a logical progression for me. 
Because so, because remember, this is 2002. People didn't have a clue as mm -hmm. to how to create a website back then. You know, it wasn't like people knew about WordPress like they know now and we have all these fancy themes. So I felt like I had a big leg up because there weren't people doing what I was doing at that time. So that was why. It was really about I was looking and seeing what sites were ranking and staying there and which ones weren't. And it was the big authority sites that were staying there. Because remember, this is before social media. So <laughs> only way I had to get traffic traffic at that point was through Google or whatever the engine was at that time. So that was what I was focusing on. Okay. So you start this website, you're using Microsoft front page. Are you telling me that like for each post, well, I guess you're not even calling them posts back then. Um, but for each article or whatever it is you're writing, you're creating a new page and then you're uploading that HTML file. Is that how you were doing it back then? Yeah, there was a software program. I think by that time I had moved to Dreamweaver. So how Dreamweaver works is that you connect it with your hosting accounts control panel, username and password. Uh -huh. So every time you upload a page, I would open Dreamweaver. And then, of course, you know, you have to find a template for your site. That would be like what a WordPress theme is today. So I would edit the template. And then when I'm done, I would push that little button in Dreamweaver to upload or FTP that page to the Internet. And so I had to manually link all of my pages together on the menu. It's not like WordPress today where you can just create a menu and just link your pages. So my site was very, very manual. Very. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're doing that for a while. Um, WordPress comes along and, well, actually, let me, I, I don't know if that's necessarily what made the change. So how did it evolve at that point? To where you know now we're dealing with content management systems back then you were creating individual pages and manually linking them um how did that part of the process evolve for you okay in 2006 blogger was huge and i think that's when i first discovered darren rouse's blog a pro blogger and he kept talking about blogging and blogging and blogging and i kept thinking hmm I don't really know if I want to blog because it seems like a different thing where your posts are just streamed down the page in reverse chronological order. That didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because uh -huh. at that time, a lot of people were just doing blogs for like their personal things. And this was before I quit my full-time job. And I remember I had an, a, a coworker who had set up a blog to journal her uh, fitness program. Like she was getting ready to train for a marathon and she was using her blog to just detail everything she was doing. And to me, it just seemed like blogs were just better for more personal sites. Yeah. And remember at the time I had such amazing ranking. This was when Google actually liked, you know, smaller websites. <laughs> <laughs> and I was afraid to change like to create a website because it was ranking so well. So I said, hmm, well, let me just try a blog on Blogger and see how this goes. And I loved how easy it was to, you know, create new content and you didn't have to do everything so manually. So I said, why don't I add a blog to tocreateawebsite.com? So what I did was I created a separate installation for WordPress under a subdomain on my site. So it's blog.tocreateawebsite.com. So that's the blog. So this was 2007. So that's the blog that you see there today. That was me adding a blog to tocreateawebsite.com because at that time, tocreate was still a Dreamweaver site. And I didn't want to change that because I was worried about my rankings. Okay, so, so uh, this is actually quite interesting. So you started with the very manual process. You go over to Blogger and you see how easy it is. And you said, okay, I'm going to put a blog on my own site. You make it on a subdomain, blog.tocreateawebsite.com. Obviously, it's going to be a, a much easier process than what you were doing before. But were there 
things that you noticed that changed significantly? I mean, did it affect your search engine rankings? Did it make something better besides the fact that it was now easier to create content? Initially, no, because I honestly, Leslie, didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so, let me tell you how my blog started. So I would basically just take content off of my what I would call static site which was at the time to create a website.com, that main section of my site. And I would just sort of paraphrase it. And then I'd go into WordPress because I was only on Blogger for a very short time. I switched over to WordPress right away. And so I would just paraphrase the content from that site. And then I would upload a little blurb post and just basically regurgitate what I had already written on to create a website.com. And yeah. I hit publish. And all of my traffic was still going to the main site. Now, let me tell you the big mistake that I made. I know that now. I didn't know that then. I should have just installed WordPress on my main site, you know, in, in a folder instead of creating a subdomain. Because from the search engine's eyes, I now have two separate sites instead of one site. So that was a mistake that I didn't realize at the time. So I, what I'm basically saying is that any links and shares that I was getting on my blog, they weren't necessarily counting toward my main site. So I was updating my blog and putting these little snippets of content on my blog and nobody was reading it. Nobody was commenting. And I'm like, I don't get this blog blogging thing. What in the heck is going on? Why do people love this so much? Uh -huh. Then in 2007 and eight is when we started seeing social media come alive and I created a Facebook fan page like so many of us did. And I started putting more of myself into my posts and being real and adding personality. That was the aha moment I had with blogging. I was like, oh, people actually want storytelling. They want to know that there's a real person behind the site. So that was a game changer for my blog around 2008. Well, okay, so you started um, engaging on social media. You started sharing more of yourself. And when you shared your content on social media, were you sharing the stuff from your static website since that already had rankings? Or were you sharing new content that you were creating on your blog? What were you doing at that time? I was only sharing blog content. Okay. Only blog content. And I had a forum at the time, too. So I was making a habit of sharing my new posts on the forum. I was sharing them on social media. And that's when things started to change for the blog in terms of getting comments and traffic and all of that. And what did that do to the static website? Did it influence that at all? Did it make you, I mean, were you still adding content to the static website at all? Oh, absolutely. Because you have to remember that site had all the link juice. Got it. So it had the rankings, it had the link juice. So it would have been crazy to just abandon that because this was at the time when you could still, you know, just add new pages. And it really was about quantity with your blog or with your website. You know, the more pages you had, target the right keywords and you get traffic. So my main site, um, even still to this day, because it has more of the links pointing to it, get more traffic than, than the blog. But my blog, interestingly enough, is actually more important to me, and we'll probably get into this later, I might be jumping ahead, because that's where people come back to comment. And my blog now has sort of, it, it now is more like an extension of my brand. That's where I go to connect with my readers. And so that's where my readers have been trained to know, oh, this is where Lisa's gonna talk about what she's working on, what's going on in the internet marketing space. So my blog has always been the more personal part of my website. Gotcha. 
whereas the main site was more for the engines, just to be honest. Gotcha. Okay, so uh, there's something you mentioned a little earlier, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into that, but you said um, that you created a blog at a subdomain, so blog.tocreateawebsite.com and not as a directory. So, for example, tocreateawebsite.com slash blog. And you said that Google actually treats that as two separate sites. Is that something that they're still doing or is that something that was being done only back then? Back then. I've heard rumors and I would say probably starting about three or four years ago, Google now is smart enough to realize, okay, this is really one and the same. But I'm not 100% sure about that. This was just stuff that I've been reading. I don't know how true that is today. But certainly back then, they were like two different sites. I mean, I had two different entries in my Google Webmaster Tools account, like my blog and then my static website. And that's when I realized, oh, man, I made a mistake. I should have installed WordPress in a folder. That way, in Google's eyes, this would be one site. So if someone shares a post from my blog, that juice now goes back to my main domain instead of a separate account. And I honestly, Leslie, to this day, think that minimized a lot of my organic traffic from my blog. And and just so that everyone is on the same page, you said that juice. Um, what do you mean by juice? In case anyone is like, wait, really? There's juice inside of your website? Is it, does it taste good? <laughs> yeah, you- I like the orange flavor the best. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is how the search engine rankings work. Google, it's not like back in the old days where you say, oh, I want to rank number one for dog training. So I'm going to register a domain name called dogtrainingtips.com and I'm going to title all of my pages called dog training, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that used to work really well back in 2007, 8, 9, and 10. Today, Google looks at authority. And one of the ways they gauge authority is by looking at how many links are pointing to your site. So if blogger B links to you, blogger A, that link could count as a vote for your website. So when your content gets shared on social media, that is like a vote for your website or link juice, as I call it, you know, where it's a social share or an external link. So when my blog posts were getting links and shares, because remember, this is the part of my site that's really now building momentum with people in social media. All of that love was going to that subdomain and not my main site. Got it. Got it. Got it. And 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 it's interesting to see it now because uh, I definitely notice that whenever I create a piece of content that gets shared like crazy, all of a sudden, maybe after a few weeks or something of that sort, that is the page that starts getting a significant amount of traffic from the search engine. So I think there's a lot to be said for when people see that you're creating good stuff and a lot of people start sharing it, that pays off in more ways than one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so you, you, you started the blog. The blog, you're, you're starting to get some engagement. People can comment and all that good stuff. I, I, I want to jump ahead and maybe go back, but in the jumping ahead, are you still updating that static website today? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now that static site is on WordPress. Okay, so basically now I have two WordPress installations. But if I can be brutally honest, I literally just did that this year, Leslie, just this year. Interesting. So up until this year, you were still adding static pages the manual way? Yeah, but I really wasn't updating that site as much anymore. Now my energy has been focused on my blog because, and maybe I'm jumping ahead now, but my blog is actually now tied to my email list. Okay. So when I send out a post, it automatically goes to my list. 
And so I've been finding it lately now with all the Google changes, it's been easier to drive traffic to my blog <laughs> than it has been my static site. So, yeah. Very interesting. Okay, so where where in this entire process did the email list start? Are you one of those people that that wishes that you were building a list from the beginning or did you start at the beginning building a list? Oh my gosh, Leslie, I was <laughs> one of those people that was like, why is everybody talking about a list? I don't get it. You know, why do I need a list? I'm ranking. And so I built a list like back in 2007 or eight and I had it out there and getting, you know, subscribers. So then I didn't know what to send to these people. And I'm like, okay, what do I send to them? So I fell off and stopped using my list. And about two or three years later, probably 2010, I go, okay, let me try this list thing again. And I thought, okay, let me try it. But then I was like, well, what do I send these people? And so then I thought, well, you know what? People really like my blog. My blog is building momentum now. And, and I was getting emails where people were saying, Lisa, I love your post. I can't wait till your next post. I said, well, why don't I take advantage of AWeber's blog broadcast feature? And so what I did, because I don't really blog a lot, I don't think this is a good idea for people that blog, you know, three, four, five times a week because it's just too many emails going out. But what I did is now I have this blog broadcast feature set up. And this has been like this now since probably 2012 or 13. So when I upload a post to my blog, a little snippet goes out to people on my list that says, oh, here's my next post and a little blurb and then a link over to that blog post. And that's how I consistently get people coming back to my blog. And this is an automated process. You're, I mean, it, it generates it from your RSS feed, right? Correct. Exactly. Okay. So in 2010, you really started focusing on the email list. They, uh, were you giving away any kind of incentive to get people to join? I did here and there, but, and I'm now doing it again. Uh, but what I was finding, and I, I think a lot of it has to do, you really have to figure out what your best offer is, right? I mean, you don't just want to give away anything. You have to know who's on your list and you have to know what they need. And I think at that time, what I was giving away um, just wasn't really converting into anything else. And I felt like a lot of people were just getting on the list just to get the freebie and then they would unsubscribe. Like I was tracking that really closely and I'm like, I don't know how much this is really helping. Mm. So I took that off. But now that my main tutorial website is now on WordPress, I am certainly using that strategy again. I've, I've streamlined what I'm offering and it's now working. So absolutely, I do that now. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So um, we spoke about everything that happened between <laughs> 1999 to, I guess, the, the next decade, right? Up to 2010. Um, but in, in that space of starting with a static website to creating your blog and starting to create content, what are some of the major, so not, not today yet, we're going to jump, uh, we're going to jump to today eventually, but what are some of the major differences? We've mentioned um, uh, Google making the change to where you started the authority site, but once you started the authority site, what were some of the major changes you noticed in the first few years? In terms of what do you mean? Just in terms blog? of how 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 you created your content, in terms of um, uh, you know social media, in terms of whatever whatever you noticed that was different between when you first started creating content on the authority site to maybe about two thousand and eight two thousand and nine. What I noticed is that you really need to build a brand of you. 
on your blog. That is so, so very important. When I started my blog, I was writing for the engines. Mm. Today, I blog for people. You know, once I started getting comments on my blog, that was very helpful. And emails from my subscribers saying, oh, my gosh, thank you for your posts. I love your content. Can you please talk about this? So a lot of my content now is inspired by feedback that I get from my actual readers. And as a result of all this, Leslie, it has made blogging for me so much more enjoyable because I'm not going to some keyword tool looking like, oh, okay, what should I focus on today? No, I am talking about what I think my readers want to focus on. And I think those people who talk about blogging being dead are the people who who have not realized that your blog can be used as a tool to humanize your brand. And for me, I think that's been the biggest transition for me with blogging. It started out as a tool just to get some, to try to get some traffic from Google. Now it's like, okay, this is how I connect with my loyal fans because these people are on my list. They're saying to me, Lisa, I like your content so much. I want to actually give you my email and subscribe to your blog so I don't miss a post. So that's so important to me now because now my traffic is not just dependent on Google anymore, which is a wonderful thing. Awesome. Awesome. So I, I noticed that you do a lot of video uh, or you've you've done a lot of video. Is that something you started off with from the very beginning or is that something that came after a few years? How, how, did, how did video come on the scene for you? I started video in 2007, which coincidentally was the same year I switched to WordPress. So I've been doing a video for quite some time. And I also think that has helped humanize my brand because, of course, I use my videos to sort of subtly promote my blog posts and remind people where to subscribe. And actually what I did for my videos is I created a direct URL called tocreativewebsite.com slash subscribe. So I shout that out in my videos. And what that does, it takes people to a landing page to get on my list to get my blog updates. So I've been able to use video as a tool to let people know, hey, I have a blog and this is how you subscribe. But yeah, I absolutely love doing video because it's another great way to connect with people and show, hey, I'm a human being just like you. And I'm, I'm just your average you know, girl blogging, just like a lot of you guys. So yeah, it's a great tool. And when, when you started using video, where, what was your platform of choice? Were you doing YouTube? Um, how were you doing the video? Only YouTube. I've never done anything but YouTube. Now I do have a Vimeo account that I use for videos. Like say I want to do like a promotional video and embed it on my site. I'll use Vimeo for that because I think it looks a little bit more professional, but in terms of, um, just doing videos for free, only YouTube. Awesome. Okay. So you're creating these. How did YouTube, did YouTube help you drive traffic at all? Or was it just more so that's, that's how you could create videos to connect with your audience and provide them with value? Both. Yeah, I I definitely can't say that, you know, YouTube is responsible for, you know, 50% of my traffic or anything like that. But I do do certain videos where I would say, oh, if you want to learn more, click this link or go here. And I also use YouTube to promote some of my courses. And it has helped me get some conversions for those. Um, But no, it's not so much a traffic building tool as it is a brand building tool, if I can be honest. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Social media. Let's talk about social media and what that has done for your brand. You kind of alluded to it a little earlier, but how did you start using social media when it first came out and how has that changed over time? If I can be honest, Leslie, I don't use social media as well as I could and as much as I could. Okay. And if I can be honest, I probably use it very similar to how I, you know, back then 
than how I use it now. Um, I use it to, of course, announce all of my you know new content. Just recently, I've been on Facebook and I've uploaded a couple of videos directly because I've learned that you know that's how you increase your reach. Mm-hmm. And uh, the couple of videos that I did um, have worked pretty well. So online streaming and and video is the future for you know for Facebook. So that's something I definitely want to get into more, but I'd be lying to you if I said I was like the Twitter queen or the Facebook queen. That's something I actually want to get better at if I can be brutally honest. I'm definitely a creator by heart and I create so much sometimes that it's almost like I forget to promote, you know what I mean? So social media can be a great tool, not just for promoting because you connect with your audience on there as well, but I honestly don't think I use it as as well as I could. Okay, so I want to dig into this a little bit because uh, most of the people that I know that are blogging today and, and are having some traction they focus a lot. On, well, not let me not say most of the people because some people don't. My my most successful blog in terms of audience is my biology blog, and the social media traffic to that blog is almost non-existent. Um, is uh, and and when I say non-existent, I, I, I'm talking if I get a hundred thousand people to that blog in a month, maybe a thousand or two, maybe three will come from social media. And that is not something that I ever hear. I don't hear that often. So you're saying that your business, you've built it um, social media. And I'm not telling anyone not to use social media. Absolutely not. But um, that social media has not been a big part of what you've used to build your blog to what it is. No, I don't think so at all. I still think, and I know this is old school but that email list has been huge for me. That's really the number one, number one way I get people back to my blog. Now, don't get me wrong. Facebook has still been very instrumental, but as you know, and I think I read one of your posts or listened to one of your podcasts where you talked about that, um, what was it, the reach update that they did again mm-hmm. in June that lowered the reach, and I definitely noticed a, de- a decrease in that with Facebook. That's why I started experimenting a little bit with video. So, no, I can't say that that social has been huge. Now, I do use an app. It's called uh, Twitter Feed, and I've used this since 2007, and it automatically sends out tweets to my followers when I launch a new post. And so that does drive some traffic to my blog posts as well. So I do that as well. But I can't say that I'm one of those people who is just on social media two to three hours a day and I wake up and let's see, I schedule these posts and I do that. What I love about social, and I will say Twitter specifically, is a lot of people use Twitter to just ask me questions and because they'd rather use that than an email form. So I get a lot of at replies on Twitter for people that have quick questions. And so it's just another way that I can connect with people that prefer to use Twitter. But yeah, I, I do use it to announce my new content as well as Facebook. Google Plus, eh, you know, that's kind of been a dying uh, place. But I do also announce my post there as well. But no, my email list has been, I think, more powerful than social media has been for me, if I can be honest. Okay, so I want to talk about this a little even more. Um, because when I go to your blog, I see I see pretty good engagement. I'm looking at a post right now the uh, that has 70-something comments on it, another one, 62 comments and 15 comments. And um, you're getting you're getting a significant amount of engagement. And I think I want to talk a little bit about what you do to encourage that or to nurture that. So can you kind of talk about maybe some of the things that you do 
uh, to get people in, to engage with you. And and let's let's eliminate social media from the equation right now. So what do you do to get people to engage? First thing you got to do is ask people. <laughs> you know, you'd be surprised that what will happen when you say, give me your thoughts or what do you think? And I'm also very selective about the content I put out. One thing I've noticed with the blogging and internet marketing spaces, Leslie, is that I feel like there's so much regurgitated content out there. Mm -hmm. And you've got people telling you how to build a successful blog when they don't even have a successful blog. (laughs) And it's like, really? You know? So I try really, really hard to come up with topics that are different and based off my personal experience. And I'm also not afraid to be very vulnerable on my blog and talk about things that I've done wrong and things that I wish I had done. I did a post up a few months back where I talked about how I wish I had kept my site more niche. And that was one of the posts that got a lot of comments because People could relate to that. It was like, wow, here's somebody that's had a lot of success and she's being vulnerable and opening up and sharing her problems and her issues that she's had with her website. And I think that really strikes a chord with people because I'm not some robot that's just saying three ways to build your blog, Mm -hmm. five ways, and you know, all that regurgitated stuff. So be you. Don't be afraid to let your hair down on your blog and you'll be amazed at what that will do for the engagement. Wow, I love that. You said, don't be, I don't have any hair, but <laughs> metaphorically speaking, <laughs> don't be afraid to let your hair down at your blog. And I'm assuming you mean, you know, um, share your flaws, like what you were saying, mistakes and those types of things. Um, is, is that essentially what you're talking about there? Absolutely. Don't be afraid to be you. And I think the issue is a lot of times when we create authority blogs, and I know this is how I felt when I started, I was afraid to, to mention any mistakes because in my head I'm thinking, well, I'm the authority. I have to act like I always know what I'm talking about so people will, you know, will follow me and respect me. But I found that when I'm honest and upfront about things I struggle with, that helps my readers connect with me more because I don't care who you are, I don't care how much success that you've had, you go through things and you make mistakes. And I think it's important, even more important for the authority bloggers to admit that and say that, and it will do wonders for your engagement. So don't be afraid to do that. But how do you, how did you get there though? Because I know, and I'm harping on this because I know that there are a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that feel as if, you know, everything has to be perfect. Um, this is my blog. I am the expert. So I need, I need to make sure to, 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 to have that demeanor about myself. Um, and you're saying that it took you a while to, to start doing that. How did you how did you cross that gap and started being more vulnerable with people on the internet where you know when you when you put it out there, it's out there for the world. How do you deal with that? This is what I tell people who struggle with that. What you do is pick something that you've struggled with or that you've done wrong or a mistake that you've made, and don't just end the post on, "Oh, I've made a mistake. That's it. Follow up or talk about how you've corrected it. So 
that way, here you are being vulnerable. You're saying what you've done wrong, but you're finishing with something positive. So if you feel a little uneasy or uncertain about showing too much about yourself, you can turn it into a positive and say, well, these are the mistakes that I've made, but here's how I've corrected it. And here are the results. Now, I'm not saying I always do that. Sometimes I might just say, y'all, look, I messed up and I'm going to fix this and I'll update you guys on what's going on. But if you're not comfortable doing that right away, try to start with something that you've done wrong and then show how you've corrected it. So that way you can sort of ease into that vulnerability space. And I think the cool thing about that is you, you kind of get to see how your audience will respond to it. And I yes. don't know about you, but I mean, well, actually, you just said it. But I find when I'm vulnerable, I get I get much more of a response from my audience because, hey, all of a sudden they're dealing with a real person that makes mistakes and doesn't get everything right. Absolutely. I remember the one of the first posts I did that I got a reply from a reader and she goes, this post made my day. It is so nice to know that someone I really admire online is going through the same things that I'm going through. And it was amazing how many people said, wow, I never would have thought you struggled with that. And I'm like, why would they think that I don't struggle with that? It's amazing how people put you up on a pedestal as an authority blogger or as an influencer in your space. And it's like, look guys, we're all human. We go through the same things that you guys go through. So don't be afraid to put that out there on your blog. You will get amazing results from that. Because I would much rather read a blog where it looks like it comes from a human being who's not afraid to show where they struggle than someone who is like a robot and they're only just posting tip after tip after tip after tip. That gets boring because today people want to connect with people, not just a blog. They want to know the person behind the site. And I think that's very helpful. Awesome. Okay. So let's talk about money. Um, not necessarily how much you make or anything of that sort, but how has monetization changed over time? When I, when I, Think about all of the things that I've seen you talk about. You know, I've seen everything from AdSense to uh, 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 um, affiliate products to selling T-shirts and all kinds of stuff. So can you tell me how that aspect of your business has evolved from the beginning to kind of now? Oh, absolutely. When I first started, it was all about AdSense and affiliate marketing. I would say probably from, if we're talking about to create a website, when it started from 2002 up until about 2010 or 11, that's all I pretty much focused on. Then in 2012, it was like, you know, I need to have a product. And so I created a small little WordPress ebook that I put out there. But today I'm focusing completely on courses. That's how I, I monetize my content more so. And what I always tell people is that when Google was different and allowed you to rank your website much easier. It was so much easier to monetize it with ads and affiliate programs. But now, because it's it's not as easy to master AdSense the way that you used to, it's so much better to have your own products that you own that you want to promote. So you're building up your business with that instead of advertising or building up somebody else's business with affiliate marketing. Not that I have anything against affiliate marketing because I still do very very well with affiliate marketing, but my main focus now is selling my own courses. Got it, got it. And and what do you use for, uh, this is me now more being curious because I love anything to do with courses. What technology do you use for your courses? Um, in terms of where do I sell them? Uh, yeah, are, are you selling them all on your own website? Are you using a particular thing for handling the payment? So w what are you using? Just get geeky with me just a little bit. <laughs> I actually use the Udemy platform, so U-D-E-M-Y. 
but I'm in the process right now of, this is a whole nother topic, but I'm starting a niche site on the e-learning space to help people create their own courses. And I'm going to be going self-hosted on WordPress. And so I'm just going to be using the Thrive Content Builder to do the layout for the courses. And then I'm going to be taking the payments with, um, you know, PayPal just directly on my site. Uh, PayPal, and then there's the other one, Stripe, those Got two it. payment systems. So right now I'm on Udemy. They are they have their advantages and disadvantages, but um, in the end, I think it's best to go self-hosted. And so for the new niche site, I would definitely be going self-hosted. And and really quick, I know everybody that's listening, they're thinking, well, we're talking about blogging, stop talking about courses. But I'm I'm just always curious. Uh, benefits of Udemy, what are they? The biggest benefits I would say is ease of use. Mm. So if person and you're like, oh, I don't want to spend a lot of money on creating a course, they host the videos for you. So you don't have to worry about Amazon S3 or Vimeo or Wistia or anything. They host all of your content for you. And if you refer the sale yourself from your own site, you get 97% of the sale and they only take 3%. That's probably the biggest advantage. It's easy, it's fast, and they do all the technical stuff for you. You literally upload your videos and then drag and drop them into place and in the order that you want them. The biggest downside, I will say, is that they have limits now on the maximum price that you can charge uh, for your yes. Right now it's $200. At one point they had dropped it down to 50 because they were having a lot of issues with low quality course creators saying, oh, here's my course for $500 and they will give a discount for $10. And so <laughs> the, like what in the world? So the biggest disadvantage I will say is that Udemy themselves, they offer a lot of discounts to people that create courses for their marketplace. And so the downside to that is people begin to expect your courses to be heavily discounted. Mm, gotcha. So you want to make a lot of money with Udemy, you really have to sell your courses at a certain price point. But fortunately for people like me who have my own audience, my own list, you can turn off all those promotions if you want and not worry about that and then just sell them for the price, one fee, and then that's it. So I turned off all those crazy promotions because I'm like, I worked really, really hard <laughs> on this course just to, to just give it away. You know, so that's probably the biggest downside is the Udemy students begin to expect these really, really deep discounts. And if you want to sell a course for $500, that's not the place to go. Got it. Okay. Email list. Let's touch that one more time. Um, you say you do the blog broadcast. So uh, you connect your RSS and whenever you have a new post, then it just goes out automatically with the information about the post and people can click through to go to the post. Um, do you do anything else with your email list outside of that, whether it's for special promotions or relationship building or anything of that sort? Or is it all via the content that's on your blog? I don't do a lot of one-on-one -on -one promotional emails, um, but I do reach out to my list from time to time and ask them, hey, what are you struggling with? Or what ideas do you have for content to really connect with those? And people love those emails because number one, I make them very personalized. Of course, I use their first name in the email and it shows them I'm not always trying to sell you something. I just really want to know what you struggle with because that helps me develop better content when I know more about you. So I definitely use my list as a relationship builder. Now for my static site, which, you know, recently moved to WordPress. So how, how my site works now is that I've got my blog for like the internet marketing 
type of content. And my static site is more for helping people customize their WordPress website. So that site has a completely separate list, right? Because I know those people on that list are starting their sites. So I have an autoresponder set up for that particular section of my site. So I give them a free book that helps them customize their site. And then I follow up automatic with, a, with an autoresponder and say, oh, you know, how's it going? Do you have any questions? And then I might send some promotional things later about my courses and things of that nature. So I do use it for more promotional uh, purposes on my tutorial section of my website. Gotcha. All right. So uh, we're going to wrap it up in a second here. But yes, blog. I mean, you've been around the blogosphere, it seems, since the beginning, since Mary had a little lamb is what I like to say. Um, <laughs> blogging has changed significantly over the years. So if someone is starting today, what are the top tips that you would give them to help them be as successful as possible with building their blog? Number one, identify who you want to target. I know that may seem very elementary, but it's so easy to get lost. Like we tend to put out content that we want to put out that we think is interesting, but you got to really think about what your audience wants, right? And so you want to focus on that. And that's, that's the first thing. The other thing I would say is don't be afraid to be yourself. It's okay to be vulnerable. You know, it's okay to say, this is what I did wrong or, you know, put out something that's not always how to do this or, you know, selling something. Use your blog as a tool to build your brand, build your personality, and you'll have so much success with blogging if you do that. And, and to people who say blogging is dead, I know we haven't really talked much about that. Um, I just think that they haven't figured out a way to use their blog in an effective manner because blogging is far from dead. <laughs> blogging is far from dead and they, and we just got to figure out how to use it in an effective manner. Thank you so much. And I know you have um, some special stuff going on at your site. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I just revamped my WordPress customization course and I am so proud of that course. For a very, very long time, I did not have any premium content out there for WordPress because I didn't want to just create another how to create a website with WordPress course. What's a post? What's a page? I mean, you can go to YouTube and learn all that stuff. This course is more like WordPress with a purpose. I recently redesigned my homepage and I show people specifically how to use tools to create a more streamlined landing page, kind of like you have. You have a great landing page, Leslie, that's very personal. Thank you. So it's a it's a WordPress course with a purpose. And I almost tripled the content in the course. And so I'm about to relaunch it again. And so you can get that course at tocreatewebsite.com slash WordPress course. To create a website.com slash WordPress course. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story and all that value. It's been a pleasure, Leslie. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome, guys. Check it out. Of course, the link is going to be in the, the links and everything is going to be in the show notes. Go to becomeablogger.com slash 284. If you missed anything, don't worry. We try to make it easy for you, <laughs> it'll all be there. Also, one simple call to action for you today. If you want to take your blogging business to the next level, you want to get some coaching, I want to invite you to check out my Become a Blogger Coaching Club. Uh, you can check it out for 30 days, 100% free of charge. Yep, I will coach you free of charge. Uh, you don't even have to put in you know, your credit card details and all that stuff. So, But here's what you have to do to claim the offer. 
head on over to bloggercoaching.com. That's bloggercoaching.com. And when you register there for free, you're going to get access to all my courses on building a blogging business. You're going to be able to get on live group coaching calls. You're going to be able to get in our private Facebook group, live webinars. Man, that's a whole lot of stuff to help you be successful with your blogging business. That's bloggercoaching.com. Head on over there and let's get this party started. That's pretty much it for now. This is Leslie Samuel here from becomeablogger.com where we're changing the world one blog at a time. And until next time, take care and God bless. <laughs>